Um, so yeah, it's good to be back here again. Oh, you don't have one of those um, mics. Eh? Mind. They're quite expensive, eh? yeah. Um, so yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me again. And um, I thought that tonight we would look at the parable of the rich fool. It's a really interesting parable, and it's um, really applicable to today and where we are today. Um, if you didn't know, who reads the Sydney Morning Herald every morning? Okay, nobody, right. Um, well, let me tell you as a New Zealander what it said on page five. You'll like this or you might not like this, I'm not sure. Page five. Move over, Davos. We might, we might not feel it, but the typical Australian is richer than the typical person in any other country in the world, according to a survey by Credit Suisse Bank. So it's not a rubbish survey. Australia has seized from Switzerland the global title of having the highest median wealth per adult. Um, this was released yesterday. So whilst you don't feel that you're living on fat city, you are living on fat city. And, you know, Australia and New Zealand, you know, we, of course, we still have... Um, uh, are poor, poor people, people who are struggling, people who have all manner of issues. However, you fellas top the bill at the average Aussie, um, if you were to line them all up in a line and then, and then pick the middle person, that, over, that average Aussie um, has a net wealth of 191,000 US dollars. Um, Switzerland's 183, Belgium is 163, Mother England is 97, um, I find this hard to believe, Spain is 87, I find that kind of hard to believe, because they're sort of struggling, their economy's struggling. What's interesting, where the survey maybe falls down a little bit is there's no Scandinavian country in there, and there should be. Uh, yeah, New Zealand's probably top 20, but there's no Scandinavian countries in there, but of course they pay higher taxes. And of course, you, you fellows, your real estate is really expensive, um, comparatively. So, But anyway, um, what's it got to do with, with you fellows? Well, a lot. If we look at um, the parable of the rich fool, this is really applicable to me, and certainly applicable to New Zealanders and to any Western country. Um, you can put it up if you want to, bro, or, or just do it a wee bit later, I don't mind. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Watch out, be on your guard uh, for all ty types or kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, dude, I got so much stuff here. I don't actually, I seriously don't know what to do with it all. And you know what he says. I'm going to build bigger and better barns um, to store my crops. 
Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones where I may store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, I didn't say to him, God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. So, let me be, I, I really sincerely want to say to you, I am totally not interested on, in putting anybody on a guilt trip. I just, I can't be bothered even trying. So that's not my aim here. Nor am I trying to make you feel guilty because, oh, you don't give us enough money for Empower Asia. We need more money. I'm totally not interested in doing that. that that's, not my, that's not my spin here. This man didn't realize that his blessings came from God. He thought he was clever. He thought he had made good decisions, but he got lucky because the weather was good. He didn't have any massive storms. He didn't have any massive droughts. Um, and he thought he did pretty well. I'm not knocking wealth, and I don't think Jesus knocked wealth. The Apostle Paul didn't knock wealth. The Apostle Paul, they would live sometimes off the wealth of, and the riches of, of those who had wealth. Um, and sometimes they survived like that. So there's no need for us to be knocking people who are wealthy. Because if I do that, that's pretty much every person in this room. Because we are really, really wealthy. Even though you don't feel that you're wealthy, you are wealthy. Um, an example, you know, because when I think of wealth, I think of um, Freddie and I, we went running around um, Point Piper the other day. Now, that's a nice suburb. I wouldn't mind being there. In Point. Who's ever walked around Point Piper? You've got to walk around Point Piper, mate. Everybody's got to do that one time in their life. Um, is it called Walsley Street in Point Piper? I, th I heard it's the most expensive street in Australia. It's a nice street. There's this, um, there's this, there's one particular house there, and the guy's got two, he's got two Mercedes parked in his garage. You can tell because his garage has a big, massive window, and you can see the Mercedes there, and then through that you can see the Harbour Bridge. Now that's wealth. We aren't wealthy. That's wealth. And so, in, and I'm sure I've said to you before, we often judge wealth not by what we have but by what we don't have. And we don't see that we're wealthy. Um, and I think to myself, where Nicole Kidman lives up there, that's wealth. And uh, then we went around to uh, Velcluz and had a look at sub um, streets around there. Um, that's wealth. Wollongong, oh, that's not wealth. But we are wealthy. And so this is a salient lesson for us. And in verse 19 it says, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And it is a warning to those who store up things for themselves but are not generous towards God. Um, so this fella, he's got so much going on that he decides he's... You know, the equivalent today would be he's going to build a, a factory that's the size of, I don't know, um, an Aldi warehouse, 
and he's going to have uh, fork hoists that are going to be able to lift the grain up and down when he wants to sell it. He could use um, artificial intelligence and robotics and whatever um, so he doesn't have to employ so many people because who wants to employ people? if he can use robots. Um, and they can do a whole lot of the work for him. He's going to have a bigger dispatch area, bigger trucks. I mean, this guy's creaming it. And in the same way, for many of us, we can think, well, I don't know what to do with all my money. I think I'll buy another house somewhere and somebody can um, rent my house and basically they're going to pay the mortgage off on my house. And, and you kind of can do that um, for some of us. But can you imagine what this man could have done if he had decided to use this abundance of wealth uh, on behalf of the poor or in terms of extending the kingdom of God. So by all means, he could buy a house up in Austin Mayor for a 1.5 mil and he could get people to rent it out and wait for it to hit 3 mil and then sell it and then, and then get his 1.5 back and the other 1.5, he could um, use it for the kingdom of God. But oh no, this turkey here, he just, he's got all the stuff and he just wastes it on himself. This is not good. Um, and God deems him or titles him as being foolish. Our culture esteems people who are wealthy. And many of us, we have as an aim to be wealthy, to upgrade, to do better, to get a better thing, blah, blah, blah. And that's me. Believe, I was saying this morning to another crowd, believe me when I tell you, I am probably more personally ambitious than probably anybody in this room. So I know all about how this works, because that's me. Um, so, and, and in our culture, we admire people like that. Also in the Sydney Morning Herald was an article about James Packer. We ran past his house. Don't know which house it was, but we ran past his house. Do you know which one it was, bro? Don't know, eh? We ran past his house. And there's another house that sold in the street that we were on. It sold recently for $25 million. See, that's rich. Our house that's only worth $700,000, that's not rich. Well, yeah, it is. $700,000, that's rich. Um, anyway, James Packer, chronically depressed. Um, he has spent weeks in rehab trying to get his life back together because he's so depressed. The guy's been born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He's a billionaire. We, esteem, we don't necessarily esteem James Packer, but we esteem people who are wealthy in our society. And yet look at him. His life's a little bit of a mess. And he falls out with his friend, so it says in the article. So he admits. And yet we esteem people like that. But Why? And our culture esteems people like that. Certainly in New Zealand, as long as they're not braggarts, we esteem that. But why? Is it making them any happier? When Chris Cornell had a sound garden, an audio slave, he's a nice looking guy, he can sing, he can write great lyrics, he's got a nice wife and all these kids, and Chester Bennington, when they commit suicide, they're massive millionaires. They are massive in terms of, of the music industry. They committed suicide. So why are we chasing this dream, if we are, of being wealthy? Being wealthy gives us options. But sometimes having options can make us unhappy because you don't know what one to take. Um, 
So this silly man who was so wealthy, all he can think to do with his wealth is to upgrade and buy more toys. And so many of us in our society, we do that. And then the, and then the cruncher is, when he dies, who's going to get all his stuff? And are they going to waste it? Are they even grateful? Um, and so he might have accumulated all the stuff through hard work, and then other people are going to get it, and they won't even necessarily appreciate it. Now, let's have a look at Ecclesiastes. I don't know if I've got Ecclesiastes on that PowerPoint there, actually. But, oh, that's cool. I'll read it to you. I amassed... Now, we believe the author of Ecclesiastes is, is Solomon. I amassed silver and gold for myself in the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. There you go, Al. A harem, you can have a harem, mate. Solomon, it's good enough for Solomon. It's good enough for you, boy. I became greater by far than... <laughs> I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all, this, in all of this, wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. And we're talking about a billionaire here. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet... When I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. It was pointless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Now we'll flip on to verse 20. So my heart began to despair over all of my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This, too, is meaningless and, and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. How many of us are like that? Even at night their minds don't rest because they're thinking about the next business deal or they're thinking about their mortgage because they overcommitted on their mortgage or they overcommitted on their credit card because they believe the lie on TV that if you just put it on the card and pay it later, they believe the lie. Now they're lying in their bed and they can't sleep because they're worried about their money because they overcommitted. How many of us are like that? Who's ever been like that? Let me tell you, I have. So this is actually a really serious matter. It's a very serious matter for the church. It's a very serious matter for Western Christians. Um, because in a sense, we sell ourselves out instead of doing the most important stuff. Again, I'm not, con I'm not condemning wealth, but it's what we do with our resources, our education, our time. Our, um, our, our wisdom, our access to um, um, good health and, and health clinics and hospitals, our access even to clean drinking water. We are so lucky 
we really are living in the lucky countries. We really are. So um, most of us will say, yes, 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 the Ecclesiastes is right. You know, it's a, what these people are trying to do and they're, they're working their butts off doing all this sort of stuff. Why do they bother doing that? Yes, I agree. But yet through our actions, sometimes we are those same silly people who waste our time doing the unimportant and running around trying to pay off the mortgage. Um, so that's not to say you shouldn't buy a house, but let's not overcommit ourselves because God's got other stuff for us rather than us having to drive up to Sydney every day and be on the treadmill of, you know, doing, working for the man and um, he pays us as long as we arrive there at 9 o'clock each morning and we're working for the man. Then we drive home, we get home at 6.30 at night or whatever it is, see the kids, we're knackered. Uh, all we can think about is work and then we've got to go through the whole routine again at 6.30 the next morning. Is that what life's about? Is that what it's about? Is that what we've come to? Now, because you're Christians, you've probably thought about this somewhat, but a lot of people never have. And they just carry on doing the same stuff year in, year out, year in, year out, and they don't take the time to stop and reflect. So for me, my happy place, I don't think I've got a picture of it, but my happy place is in Kalemiel, in northwestern Myanmar. And it's an area, it's, it's a city that has about eight hours of electricity a day. Um, no internet, you've got to go to an internet cafe, and you know, it's forever the internet's getting cut off, it's a pain in the neck. It has really extreme weather, so it can be, uh, in, in the hot season, dude, it's seriously hot. Like, like it's extreme even for you guys. It's hot. Um, in the wet season, it pours with rain. In the cold season, it's actually quite cold. Um, so it's quite extreme. These people are looked down upon by the government, by the Burmese government. They're looked down upon. Um, they, they don't have a lot that really works for them. Their, their, their Burmese government right now is barbaric. Um, there is zip security for these people. They are under-resourced, and they've been under-resourced for a long time, and yet they don't seem to whinge. They're like, they're like, seriously, it's like they're the absolute opposite to us. They're so happy, and it's like, and when, when bad things happen, they have a little giggle, and they just get on with it. It's amazing. Whereas if it's us, we bitch and moan, because where was God? When our, when our roof blew off, where was God? Well, you got insurance. So, like, seriously, be quiet. These people don't have insurance. They've got nothing. But God let me down because I didn't get the job I was going to get. It's like, get over it. And, and, and these people, they're so happy and they're not dumb. Don't believe me, they're not stupid. And a lot of them now, the older ones who are 50s, their kids are at university and their kids are quite smart. Um, and so, but even the kids are kind of simple, and yet academically they're quite smart. They're coming out with PhDs and master's degrees and all the rest, but they're so simple. They're so charmingly simple compared to what we've got. I mean, we're in, the, uh, in a splendid country here, but these people, they, theirs is the opposite, but they're so lovely. Um, so that's my happy place. And after church on a... Oh, 
So they have church on a Sunday night and it goes on forever and it's all in another language and you sit there and you, you know, you're starting to nod off and you've got to stay awake. And, and then at the end of that, we all go back to their house and, and then um, we all just sit around chatting. You know, I speak, they speak pidgin English to me. We're all chatting. And then they get out the, the blankets and the pillows and we all watch football till midnight on Sunday nights. Great. And then you toddle off home sometime and, and it's awesome. That's my happy place. And it's so, I'm going to sound horrible here, but it's so much nicer than Wollongong. And it's so much nicer than New Zealand. Even though we've got all these lovely lakes and snowy mountains, it's so much nicer because they're simple. And verse 20 the of the rich fool, um, Kenneth Bailey, a commentator, would say um, from verse 20, if we go, oh, yes, sweet, okay. But God said to them, you fool, this very night... Your life will be demanded from you. Bailey, as he um, exegetes or as, as he um, looks into this passage, he would say that basically what God's saying is this. Your life was loaned to you. Now you've got to give it back and you've got to account for the loan. Well, what's this guy done? I mean, what has he achieved? He got rich. Well, big deal. That doesn't impress God. What did he achieve? He spent all his money on himself. Duh. And I actually feel a bit sorry for this guy because he could have had such an adventure with his money. Imagine the neat things he could have. He could have had an adventure in God. Instead, he just spent it on himself. Duh. I feel sorry for him almost. Um, and so he has to now account to God about how he used his resources, as will we. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, You have been bought with a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. Your life is not some, just some little free gift. You have to account for it. Does this sound daunting? Because I don't actually reckon it is. It's sort of like, it's a little bit like a journey of death. That's not so nice. That's not a term that you like to use in the Western church, you know, welcome to the journey of death. But, but it kind of is. Um, but as we die to ourselves, of course, that's where we find those two things that the West would love to have and by and large don't have. Joy and peace. And when, you, when you're obedient to Jesus and you do as he says, it's not to say everything's going to be sweet all the time, but you encounter a joy and a peace. Oh, okay. Is that my phone? I, I, it's Bob from, from um, Christchurch. I just got to talk to him for a second. <laughs> I think it, oh, it's Bob. Can I just talk to Bob for a second? Is that yeah. Oh. Hey, Bob. Yeah, g'day, mate. Hey, hey, so, yeah, so you got my message, hey? Is it okay if I email that certificate of title to you? I can't, at the, listen, I'm really busy just at the moment. Can I, um, if, all I'll do is, I'll, if I just send the CT, CT to you, and then if you can just mark, if you could just kindly mark off that area where they've filled in the soil. Can you give me your um, email address? Yep, yep, MC. G-I-F-F-I-N. Yep. Okay, sweet mate. I'll send it the next two hours. 
Okay, thanks very much. Yeah, okay. If you if you if you mark it and then when I get it back, I might give you a call, eh? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, thanks, Bob. Bye, See you, mate. Bye. Bye. I'm doing a, I'm doing a land deal. <laughs> Hypocrite. <laughs> I'm doing a land deal. Okay, so Bob Bob knows where the yeah, anyway, okay. It's in Christchurch and it's like Earthquake City, so you've got to be careful where you buy your land. Anyway, I feel thoroughly embarrassed now. Hypocrite. Um so it sounds daunting, but when we give up that idea of buying land or whatever it is that we may be doing. <laughs> Um, and so, but then we discover the sense of peace and joy. And when things don't work out, we still plug on with God anyway. You know that old survey that Tony Campolo has taught, Tony Campolo, a Christian sociologist. I don't know whether I've told you this or not, but it's, it's really interesting. They interviewed f- only a small sample, 50 people over the age of 95 years of age. Are you yawning? You're yawning. Can you slap her, please? Um, 50 people over the age of 95. And they asked them, if you had it all over again, what would you have done differently? Now listen, listen. You young people, listen. If I had it all over again, there were kind of like three main... I mean, there were lots of answers, but there were three main real answers that came out. If I had it all over again... I would risk more. I would risk more. I take more risks, and I kind of I see that as sort of like that could be risk, taking risks for God. It could be like you could decide I'm taking a risk and I'm actually going to leave my job, and I'm going to do something else. I want to do something that I want to do. I'm not just going to keep on working for the man, driving up to Sydney every day, or whatever it may be. I would risk more. The second thing that the second comment that seemed to come out, and I reckon this is a really good one, is if I had it all over again, I would reflect more. And a lot of us don't just, a lot of us don't just, in a sense, just shut up and stop and think. We don't sit there and analyse and look at our lives and think, am I doing actually what I really want to do? Am I actually doing that, or am I just? doing what everybody else tells me I've got to do because that's, that's what the dominant values of my culture is. I just got to, you know, work nine to five or whatever it is. Reflect more. How could I sort of be the person maybe that I'd actually really like to be? The things that I do and how I spend my time, are those things actually important? What could I do that's better than what I'm doing now? Reflect more. And then finally, the third thing is, if I had it all over again, I would leave something that would live on after I am gone. It's a good one, eh? Um, I would leave a legacy that will live on after I've flown the coop here. Um, And believe me when I tell you, I am preaching to myself a lot of the sermon, you can tell now. Um, and, and, And so... Because I have been doing Empower Asia, Carly and I set it up all those years ago, maybe 28 years ago, um, it helps me to stay balanced. Because believe me, I could get so out of whack. 
but it helps me to stay balanced. Now, Empower Asia, do you want to chuck up that next slide, bro? It's just those three, yeah. Empower Asia, what we do is we get a hold of kids who are by and large are really quite at risk. The most extreme kids are at risk to being um, sex trafficked. And in the case of your church, um, you support Wa tribal boys, and they are boys who are at risk to becoming child soldiers, either for the United Wa State Army or for um, the Tamador, which is the Burmese army. Now, I'm lying to you if I say, oh, they were all going to become child soldiers. That, that's, that's not true. But they showed the right parameters. And, and they, some of them really do show the right parameters, believe me. So because I do this stuff, it keeps me in tune with God. It means I have to take risks. I do have to reflect more. And I hope to leave a legacy. Um, so you fellas have been supporting our WAP boys for uh, four years? I can't remember. Four, okay, five or six. Yeah, okay, okay. And I think Peter's going to tell you about the WAP boys a wee bit later on. Um, but the, So the WAP people are the biggest producers of methamphetamine in the world. The Chinese taught them how to do it, and now they're really good at it, and it gets uh, sent through China or through Laos and Thailand, and it goes all around the world. Um, so that's what we do. Now, we look after about 275 more now. Um, can you stop yawning? I saw you too. Uh, 275 um, young people or more. I, I can't remember the exact figures. We work in six countries in Asia, and um, we have 17 homes. Actually, we're about to start a, a, a few more. We're looking at starting a Wa girls' home um, on that big piece of land that we have. Do you remember we walked down one end of that land and thought, oh, that'd be good for a girl's house? Um, so uh, some nice people in New Zealand uh, have given us a, a bag full of money, which this isn't normal, but they gave us a bag full of money. So um, we're going to build a girl's house uh, on that land, uh, put an electric fence in between the houses. And um, we, we're also right now looking at building a, a girl's preventative prostitution house we already have some girls, but a house in Kolkata in India. Um, and we're also looking at um, some time back in Samuel, you know, my happy place. Um, we invested in a piece of land when it was quite cheap. And then the prices have just gone shh. So um, we're going to sell off that piece of land and then we'll have enough money, we hope, to buy um, another piece of land and build a house on it. And so we'll chuck all our girls into that house and then they can leave the, the campus which has the boys and girls on it so we can take in more boys and we can take in more girls. So we're sort of spreading. It, it's, it's getting bigger. So um, obviously a really, really big thank you to you guys for um, all of you know, the support that we receive from you fellas, obviously. Um, so the work is sort of going on and it's all sort of, you know... It, it'll be hitting 300 shortly, I would, I would presume. Um, just one example is we just picked up a Cambodian girl because we have work in Cambodia, just to finish here. Um, Mum is in Phnom Penh, and she lives with her, her stepdad, and he's a drunkard, and he's probably into the drugs as well. She lives with the stepdad. You know what's going to happen. Um, so we've just picked up a girl like her. 
We can't guarantee she's going to make it with us, but we'll give it a really good try. Um, because if Dad sleeps with her, she will probably end up just going straight into the sex industry because her self-esteem will plummet and you know, she's going to feel, what, what else is she good for now, etc. So uh, um, I, I really want to thank... We're going to have Q&A, eh? If, if people have any questions. Um, so um, I really want to thank you fellas for your support, genuinely. Um, and please don't think that this talk was designed to try and make you feel guilty, because it's not. Um, and it's certainly I'm not trying to make you feel guilty to try and get more money out of you. That's not the case. Um, but it is a really, really salient challenge to us uh, in the West. Not just to Aussies, just as much to Kiwis and whatever. You know, us people who are Christian and who are wealthy. We are wealthy. We are the top 2 or 3% in the world. You imagine if you got 97% in, um, in um, some maths exam at, you know, in year 13. You'd be like the bomb, 97%. You're like the bomb, seriously. Well, that's what we're like in terms of our economy. We are the bomb. You don't feel like you are, but we are. So um, it's a massive challenge for us as Christian people to um, use our time and our resources, our education, so that uh, it can be used in terms of the extension of the kingdom of God, which I know a lot of you are doing already, but I just encourage you to keep ramping it up. Okay. I'm just going to grab a drink of water, mate. Oh, very good, Paul. I like him closing the deal in the middle of the service. How good is that? I, I, I'd like to make sure everyone is aware, if he didn't make it obvious, that um, he, he does all these property deals, but they aren't making him wealthy. They're making Empower Asia keep going um, and keeping him fed and clothed and housed at the same time. So, um, so uh, I just wanted to say a bit more about the Wahouse. We've had a couple of Lots of people from our church go over there at different times. Luke and Oren and a few others, I think, went the first time. And Matt led another little group of four of us that included myself and Oren again and Nick, wasn't it? Um, just last year, actually, we went over and we, we spent a week with the, with the boys and the house parents. And um, I guess I, yeah, I just really am... Um, impressed by the strategy of what this work does, like this six nations and 17 homes and, um, and over 270 kids now being helped. Um, the method is to have local people run the homes. The method is to have local people accountable to a, a board within their country of Christian people. The, Christ, the Christian board picks the house parents and in our case, Primte is the dad of this home. He's a young guy, probably not much older than Luke, with his own family. He's got three, three kids. Um, and he had two when we were over there. A third one's been born since. And they've just given their life to living with, with a whole house full of boys. They're living in the house with these boys. And they're, they're teaching them about God. And they're sending them to school. And they're disciplining them. And they're just loving them. And um, I'm just so impressed with Primte. He's just a great guy. I think he's a silk glove um, hiding a, an iron fist cause, um, because in, we were chatting to him about the boys and he said, well, they come from different tribes in this area. He said, when they first come to the house, they just wanted to kill each other. He said, for the first year, it was like that. He said, well, how did you manage that? He said, I had to beat them. <laughs> 
but he just loves them to bits at the same time, you know. And when we were there, they were like a band of brothers. They weren't like warring, warring factions at all. And um, like Paul, I'm, I like to be smart with my money and put it where it's going to do some good. And I think, you know, I, I invest 100 bucks a month in, in the Wah Boys. And that, that is actually keeping two boys fully funded in that home. <laughs> so 50 bucks a month, what could you... What could you not do for 50 bucks a month? Stop buying takeaway coffees or stop a bit, bit less takeaway a month? 50 bucks a month is, is, is providing the food and, well, the housing is already paid for, but the, the school and, uh, and the books or whatever they need and the clothes, so everything these kids have for 50 bucks a month is amazing value. <laughs> so uh, if you've even got a small inkling to be interested, there's brochures here that tell you a little bit more and give you the bank account that we can just pay directly into to support it. So if, you, if you've got the opportunity to give even a few bucks a month, it'll be really good to do it and then you can um, know that you're supporting our little piece of this very important ministry. Thanks. Uh, come and see me afterwards. I've got this bunch of things that have got that, those details on it. Maybe you can pass them around and if you want to take one, you can take one. Um, we, at the moment, we give roughly about $1,000 a month to the WAR boys at, and we have about, we're, we're not the sole supporters of the home because there's now 25 boys in the home. So that's like 29, there's now 29 boys in the home. So that's like $2,900, no, I can't even do the maths. Yeah, anyway, we need more money is the short thing because the more, if we have more money, we can support more boys. And it's a, it's a fantastic work that we can do. Um, so please, if you're not giving, if you are giving, great, fantastic. But if you're not giving at all, this is a, a really worthy thing to give into. You'll probably never see this work unless you go over to Burma. That's good for you. Because so often in our Western mentality, we like to give to things that we can see and feel good about. Um, but sometimes it's good to just, you know, give to things knowing that, you know, it's not building up things for yourself, even your, your own self. What's the time? You know what? Um, I, I wanted to have a bit of time where if anyone wants to ask Paul a question, they can ask Paul a question, um, ask him the hard questions about his money deals and, um, or anything. Mainly because I feel like a message like what Paul gave tonight, it is confronting to our Western mentality and it flies in the face of everything we're taught in our culture about investment, wealth protection, uh, building for retirement, like getting our own home, like everything in our culture patterns us to live one way and yet when we hear the words of scripture and we hear Paul speak, we know that there's another way. But I think rather than it just, you know, being something that we on our own, inside our own heads kind of wrestle with, I think it's worth having a time where if you want to ask a question about what does this mean, you get to do that. And I'm not going to answer it. Paul might answer it. So does anyone have a question at all? If no one has a question, that's fine. But I just think Cheryl, great. Where is he? Oh, okay. Oh, why? Okay. So in terms of Empower Asia, um, 
you know, when when God calls us to something like that, we do in certain circumstances we do feel the grace and the favour of God, and some things just flow, you know, very easy, easily and simply. But then also we encounter trials and tribulations, and some things are very hard. So could you talk about that dichotomy and how you balance that out, and what things of you know, you've just seen God's favour over and over and what things are constantly a struggle. All right, can everyone hear? I know that this... All right, this sounds a bit weird tonight. Well, <clears throat> I tell you, we've had some struggles. Um, and and I, I, I'm not saying that we're doing it right. Um, we've had all manner of struggles. My wife is very sick, um, so she has bone marrow cancer. And she's been sick for more than 25 years. And so she's had bone marrow cancer now for, oh, no, 10 years or something. Um, so there has been all sorts of struggles. And uh, also in ministry, we've had people let us down big time. And so... Um, you know, but when people let you down, that's when you start wearing your big boys' pants. And, and, and you know, you, you, you start to harden up and you start to mature up and you start to adult up. Um, and, um, yes, we have gone through some really hard times. Um, and <clears throat> I know you want me to say, oh, but I felt God was so close to me all the time. Uh, sometimes God just seems like a million miles away. Um, and if I, if I was of a, of a certain ilk, I could have walked away years ago. But you know it's like what Peter says um, when he says, but where would I go? You know, people were talking about, of, of, people were talking about how a, a lot of people had abandoned Jesus. They were following him, but they abandoned him. And I think Peter, Jesus says to Peter, and what about you? He said, oh, you have the words of eternal life. Where would I go? I don't know where I would go. I, would be a destroy, I think I'd be a destroyed person if I walked away from God. And I could become a, a little mongrel too if I walked away from God. So living under God's authority is really good for me. Um, but I can't tell you, and I, <clears throat> and I know you'd like to hear it, that, oh, God just seems so close to me all the time. No, not at all. Um, and, and sometimes we wonder whether God really cares. Sometimes we question whether God cares about every little detail that goes in, on in our lives. And fr frankly speaking, the spin I'm getting is, I don't really think God necessarily cares that much about everything that goes on in our lives. We can make decisions for ourselves. So, you know, I live in Invercargill, right down the bottom of the South Island. Now I'm looking at shifting up to Christchurch. Does God really care? I don't think so. I don't actually really think so. So I think it, when, you, but when you go through trials, yeah, you start to put on your big boy's pants. And, you, have, you know, you have, to, you have to harden up. Or you just walk away. Um, well, I just don't want to walk away because i got nothing to walk to. i got nothing to go to. So we just stick with it. So um, there's times there where we feel God has really done a, a really neat God thing. But a lot of the time, what we do, you know, we just struggle on and toil on and do what we do. And, and if God doesn't seem to come through and do anything miraculous, well, we just keep going anyway. So 
Carly and I are not particularly, we are not super spiritual. And you can tell that by the way I speak. We're not super spiritual. Um, I'm very much a pragmatist. And, but sometimes I read books and autobiographies where God's doing this, that, and the other in other people's lives. It almost oppresses me when I read them because then I look at my life and it's like, you know. I remember reading Yongi Cho, The Fourth Dimension. Awesome book, fantastic book. I just wish some of that would happen in my life, you know. Um, so I don't know if I don't quite know if I've answered your question, but um, yeah, life's life's been hard. But I have to say, there is that peace and that joy that is in our lives that um, I would not have if I walked away from God. I can tell you that. Um, there, for us, there's not a lot of ego. To be honest, there's not a lot of ego in running this stuff. Um, and um, whilst we are highly committed to it, our, our Christian journey and our lives and everything else, it doesn't depend on the success of this stuff, um, whilst we are very committed to it. Um, so our life's got to be bigger than our ministry and you know, the results of our ministry. Because if, if, if your life is dependent, your happiness is dependent on your ministry, you might as well just flip and walk away now, because most of us, you know, ministry's hard work, hey? Um, did I answer your question? Don't make it any harder, Cheryl. Just, just say yes. I carry on. <laughs> so sometimes things happen really easily. And it's like, wow, that was such a piece of cake to do that. And I think that our, the way we do stuff so that we use local people, I know it's really, like, really seriously obvious, but, man, it makes life so much easier when you have good people. So, like, I think I to, I'm sure I've told you this. When we started the WA Boys Work, it was such a piece of cake to start. Anybody could have started it. So I was just talking to my mate Ong Mung and I said, my, our country director, and I said to him, dude, we should start a workout for WA people because, you know, they're selling methamphetamine, they're making methamphetamine, they're transporting it all around the world, etc. Why don't we just start working with WA people? So he got on the phone at the cafe and he rung up his mate for five minutes and then when he got off the phone, he said, we've, we've got a house, um, we've got the house parents, all we need now is the boys. And we had the boys within... Um, I don't know, four weeks or something. So it was an absolute piece of cake to start. And I think that's the favour of God, you know. Um, but right now in Cambodia, it's hard work for us in Cambodia right now. Um, in Nepal, Nepal is going through a revival. And um, sometimes it feels like developing boys who get master's degrees and Bachelor of Engineering degrees, it's like picking fruit off a tree, it's a piece of cake. But, but it's God's favour and it's God's timing on that country too, you know. So we do, we do see the favour of God too. But a lot of the time, it's just toil and hard work and sitting down and planning and strategizing how we might do something and, oh God, please bless it. Um, yeah, so it's a combination. Thank you, Cheryl, you can't ask any more.
Uh, Paul, so when you get a big bag of money, like you said, how do you know or decide whether to invest in a new venture or put it into one of the houses you already have existing? Because you know, we've gone overseeing the houses, none of them are the Ritz-Carlton. Um, how do you make that decision? Though um, expanding in some of the countries that we expand in, thanks, mate. Um, it just makes sense to carry on expanding in those. Especially, it just makes common sense that if you've got a house that's got 20 kids in it and it's going real well, why don't you just turn it into 40? It's just kind of like it's kind of makes strategic common sense. So, um, and also, of course, it also depends on my board. So I try not to make decisions all on my own anymore. Um, we have a board and I've got to run stuff by them, um, which I really like doing. Um, so, yeah, we're happy to expand what we already have. If it's good, let's... Because uh, I'm into numbers. If you've got good quality, why not have good quantity as well, as long as you can uh, keep that quality going? Why not grow it? So it's good. I think it really makes sense to expand the existing works that you have. And a lot of the time, that's what we're doing. So we're going to start up a new work in Dongji, in the Shan State, um, which we've had a girls, Shan girls, um, preventative prostitution work there for now for probably 10 years. The house father, so you haven't met him, but the house father's like this. You know, there's no emotion. He's a little, he's a little bit of a turtle. You know, he's, no, he's not a superstar, but he's just a really, really solid guy. He's, and he's got a great wife. And, and they have been really successful. So why not kick off a boy's house? It just seems like, kind of like common sense um, to me. Okay, Pete. I'm in the process of putting all my grains in the storehouse and counting them because that's my superannuation and I'm about to have to live off it. Um, so is that wrong? I don't think so. But, um, you know, is it more the attitude and what you're doing with, with, that, with your time and your money and your wealth? Rather, you still got to be prudent, a prudent manager of your own resources, don't you? That's what I, I guess wanted to make that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so why am I buying a $250,000 section in Christchurch? Um, because we're planning on staying there for a long time. And, and probably my son, who's a missionary, he's married to a Thai girl, um, I'll build a little wing on that house where they can come and stay whenever they want to, whenever they want to. And if he puts a bit of money into that, then we'll Airbnb his wing of the house when he's not there. He'll make some serious bucks on it. So, yeah, let's be prudent and let's be smart with our money and let's make lots of money. Um, so I'm into that, you know, let's see development and let's do well. And you do have to plan for your retirement, yada, yada, yada. So, yeah, I'm into that. I'm totally into that. But it, it, but it has to be balanced with, and no one can tell you what you should do, but it just has to be balanced with um, having a spirit of generosity at the same time. And, and um, if, you, if you are really pretty comfortable, comfortable financially, well, take a few risks, you know, financially, take a few risks. I don't mean go silly, but take a few risks. And, and, do, and, and, and please understand, I'm not saying take a few risks financially and file it our way, but take a few risks and do some stuff with your money that's kind of exciting and fun. 
um, and you can sit around and, and, and maybe you, you take a chunk out and you're going to invest it and um, you want to double your money and then, um, then when you flog it off, you take your money back and um, you give that excess away. Take some risks, have some fun. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, don't get the idea that I'm knocking people who are thinking about, you know, how they're going to handle their money. Because you, you do have to, you know, you can't all be living in, in squalor um, and wealthy people keep ministries like ours going. So, yeah. When the boys leave and become members of their own community, do they feed back into the missions as well? The short answer is some do, some don't. Some girls do, some girls don't. Um, some will, um, they'll, they'll take everything that they've been given. Thanks very much. I'm out of here. Don't want to say it, but that's the truth. Um, but others, yeah, totally. They will, um, they'll try and give back. Um, some financially give back. One of my boys is a Gurkha soldier in Singapore, so he sends money back to us. Two of our kids, in, um, well, not kids now, one's a doctor and one's a social worker um, in Cambodia. They're on our board now. Um, but, you know, it depends a wee bit from country to country. Sometimes what we find is the really smart kids, they, oftentimes they can be a bit selfish, so, because they want to get ahead and an education, it's all about me getting ahead. And so you've got to teach them to give back. Um, in some cultures, they do that quite easily. Um, others, they don't. So they, they do have to be taught to do that. And some do and some don't. I wish more did. Um, some of them, uh, they get a good job and they're trying to support their family, that, like big time. They're just, and they're trying to put their brothers and sisters through school and uni and whatnot. And they're able to do that because we gave them that hand up too. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Oh, man, it, it depends on country to country. Um, the more sophisticated the culture is, the harder it is. So Thailand, I, I think in Thailand we've probably developed 20 really, like really good young people, 20 really good ones. Um, and some of them are, really are good. Um, in Myanmar, it's still a little early to say, but I think there'll be quite a few in Myanmar. Um, Bhutan, yeah. In yeah, 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 yeah. They're, they're feeding back into... The, and yeah. So in Bhutan, some of our boys, they, they come over the border from Bhutan to India, and they live with us in our work in India. And then when they're done, they'll go back to Bhutan again. And um, they, they will input. Yeah, they will input. But how, having said that, in Bhutan, we take Christian kids. Purposely, we strategically take Christian kids. Um, Nepal, yeah, we're seeing kids. The kids in Nepal won't necessarily feed back to us, um, but some of them are looking at becoming medical missionaries, and, and um, yeah, some of them are counsellors, and they work for NGOs and that sort of thing. So, yeah, we do. And, but it depends country to country. Cambodia, um, the people can tend to be a little selfish, and it's about me. Um, and there's not a great spirit of volunteerism in Cambodia, um, so they won't necessarily, 
they won't necessarily feed back into you and they won't necessarily feed back into anybody. They'll just look after their own family. Um, Burma is quite good. Um, Kolkata, it's too early to say. Nepal, yeah, those Christian kids there, they will, they'll feed back into their communities again. So if you wanted a statistic, oh, I'm making it up off the spot, I don't know. I'll probably get, I'll probably get depressed if I think, no, I shouldn't, shouldn't say that out loud. I don't know what it would be, mate, seriously. Yeah, well, yeah, it is. And I'm always thinking of succession planning and, how, you know, how do you get rid of me and it all just keeps carrying on. Um, um, so, yeah, I've got some thoughts in the pipeline on that. But, you know, um, most of our boards are pretty good. They're pretty good people. Um, and they don't need me to tell them what to do. And, and, and um, I don't micromanage. I never micromanage. If anything, I'm two hands off. I'll err on the side of being two hands. But the people on our boards, by and large, they're pretty smart people. And they don't want to employ not very good um, house parents because then it comes back on them because then they've got to get rid of them. Um, so it's a pain in the neck for them. So they're pretty careful. And a lot of them are either in Christian organisations or they're, they're in churches, they're pastoring churches, and a lot of them are academically quite smart. Um, so, yeah, that makes life really easy because they're, they're quite clever people. No more questions. Well, you're going to be here, so maybe you've got more questions you can... Um chat with Paul, just mindful of the time. Um, well, bless you all. How about this? Why don't you this week have a conversation with Jesus about your finances and ask him, am I being obedient or am I being a fool? And just open yourself up to Jesus that no one else can tell you uh, what you should do, but let Jesus speak to you about whether or not you're living in obedience in the area of finances. Is that, I think that would be really good for each one of us to do as followers of Jesus. And, you know, I think part of the journey of discipleship and maturity is asking Jesus where he wants you to invest your wealth and what you've got in order to advance the kingdom of God and to minister to those who have less than you. And the challenge on all of us is to figure out what that looks like for each one of us. So have a great week. Go and talk to Jesus about your finances. Be blessed. And I will see you again next week.